right was centered in Israel. They held the truth. This, I mean, they held the scripture. It says more than once in the old in the New Testament. It is through Israel that we have all the scriptures. It is there that we understand the covenants. They, they were the ones who understood that Christ was coming. Everything was centered in Israel. If you wanted light, you had to go to Israel to get it. If you wanted to become united to that light, you had to be proselytized and actually become an Israeli in order to have access to the tabernacle of congregation and to become a partner of that light. But do you remember the prophecy of old Simeon? When he stood over that little baby Jesus in Luke 2, it's in Luke 2, verse 30, it says, He shall be light to lighten the Gentiles, lighten the nations. And it, it just, this, is, this, is, this, this one is going to, to bring bright light, freedom from darkness to all people. Until that time, they had been held in darkness. Now, in this one, light is going to come. So, for example, do you remember, we, uh, you should remember this, I've been preaching on it for the past few weeks, but Paul speaks of the commission that he received to go to those nations in their darkness. Remember that? The Lord said to him, I am sending you. That was, that was his commission. For what reason is he being sent to the nations? Do you remember? It says to open their eyes. God, you all get a passing grade and a sucker on your way out. And, that, and that's the truth, so that they can turn from darkness to light and from the dominion of Satan to God in order that they may receive forgiveness of sins and inheritance among those who have been sanctified by faith in me, he says. He said, Paul, I am, I'm, I'm giving to you the gospel. That is, I'm giving to you the whole message of what Christ has accomplished at the cross. And as you go to the Gentiles, you, in preaching, that will have power to open their eyes. You will have power to turn them around from darkness to light. When Paul wrote in Romans 1.16, he said, The gospel is the power of God unto salvation that I can go out into the world of darkness. And when I proclaim that Jesus, what Jesus did on the cross in those words, it's power to open up people's eyes, to turn them around from darkness to light. It in itself, he says, is the power of God. Do you remember what it says in Psalm 2? And this goes, goes back to, to Revelation 12, where we read about the man-child. Jesus Christ, imagine. It says, ask, and I will give the nations for you, for your inheritance, the ends of the earth as your possession. Wow. Now, do you remember that, or am I jumping into the scriptures here a little bit fast? We talked about it in Revelation 12. He who has risen and was now seated on the Father's throne, the Father turns to him and says, Ask, and I will give you the nations for an inheritance. 
There is nothing that can stop it now. Nothing. The devil has lost his power to deceive the world. Jesus anticipated this when he stood in the synagogue of Nazareth and said, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, for he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor, to announce deliverance to the re- and release of the captives. He's quoting from the Old Testament where it says it even more stronger in one place where it says in Isaiah there that, that, that he will say to the prisoners, literally, come forth. The doors are open. Walk out. There is no one who can deceive you anymore. That's the idea. The gospel is the power of God. The angel with the chain is no, none other than the Lord Jesus Christ. A thousand years. By this time, you should really be an expert in numerology, right? We've been talking about it enough. A thousand years. You know, why, why at this time? Should it suddenly, I mean, that it would become a thousand years, literally, when all other numbers have always been all what? Symbolic. Why now should it be a literal thousand years? What is a thousand? It is ten times ten times ten. And we have seen that ten is the number of what? Finality. Of completion. Three times over. This is completion of a total finality. Period. And beginning when Jesus found the devil at the cross, there is a period of time known only to God, but it is total. It is complete. It is the fulfillment of God's purposes and God's plan. For us who live through it, it can seem like a long time. But, I mean, it really had hardly begun before this, before in this book, Jesus said, Behold, if you remember this, I come what? Quickly, right? In the light of the fact that Jesus completed the work and bound Satan, whatever else has to be has to happen is going to happen soon. Now, think about this. Not soon on our calendar, but in the light of God's purposes. And I say that because every minute of history moves up to the cross. And it was done. Boom. Over. From that moment on, anything else is going to be soon. So, follow me with this. This is that period of completion. That period of finality. Nothing more can be added to it. Nothing. This is it. From the cross to the end. To us humans, it's a long time so far. But in the purposes of God, it's a very short time. It says that during that period of time, a certain company were those who ruled and reigned. We are told they are martyrs. And I've heard that before in the book of Revelation. Remember that? We met them in chapter 12. They love not their lives unto death. These are the ones who reign along with Christ. That's no 
larger mentality. We have, we have met it so many times. If I'm going to confess Jesus Christ in this world, I've got to understand that the world is going to really like me for that. No, it's going to hate me. Understanding that faith in the Scripture is understood as a martyr's mark. It may cost me my life. This is not a hobby and I, I, you know, that I'm taking up and trying. No, it, it is a commitment of my life into the hands of the person, the Lord Jesus Christ. It says these are the ones who reigned with Christ. It says that they are priests under God. <laughs> We've met these people before, right? I mean, they sang in the first part of the book. And they have been redeemed out of every tribe, out of every kindred, out of every tongue and nation to be priests under the Father. This is the church. It, it, it tops it all by saying that these are the ones who participate in the first resurrection. Now, of course, if you are just going to live in chapter 20 of Revelation, then the First resurrection can, can mean just about whatever you want it to be. But if you're going to take in the whole Bible, the first resurrection is very simple to explain. You remember in Ephesians chapter 2, in verse 5 and 6, where it states, We who were dead in our trespasses and sins have been raised together with Christ. Do you remember in Colossians, you don't have a PowerPoint or anything there, but Mark in Colossians 2, verses 12 and 13, it's, it basically is similar in its speaking that we have been born again and have gone through nothing short of a resurrection. The whole chapter of, of, of Romans, chapter 6, Paul speaks almost in a, I call it a mock war, of Romans, of the Romans. He says, don't you know? And, and, and back, take, take a look at it here. Romans chapter 6, verses 3 and 4. It, it says, you, Are you ignorant of the fact that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried, therefore, with him and by the baptism in death, into death, so that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glorious power of the Father, so we too might or habitually live and behave in the newness of life. That, 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 that's huge. Colossians, uh, 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 anyways, 1, 1 through 4, chapter 3, it says, and, and we've kind of already quoted it, that Christ, who is our life, we have died to the things of earth. He says, set your mind where it belongs, where you are. You are alive with Christ. You are seated where? In the heavenlies. I'm going to say something here. I, I hope you hear what it is I'm saying behind what's backing up what I'm saying, and that is whenever you read any book on prophecy, watch for one thing. If they start talking about politics, put it down. God does not suddenly change his mind about end-time things. All through the Bible, he has been speaking about the real us, the real we. He says about the real you, you have been raised with Christ, you are seated in the heavens, right? 
Well, believe me, when he talks about the end, about any kind of thing, he doesn't suddenly change his, you know, start talking about like an astrologer or some palm reader. He keeps on the same track. And when he speaks to the first resurrection, that first resurrection takes place in our spirits. When we were born again, you are raised with Christ. That happened the minute that, that, that you, who were once dead in sin, and you saw that you were joined with Jesus Christ, and you saw that the Holy Spirit of Christ came into you. And, as his word says, you were raised with the very same power that raised Jesus from the dead. Of course, the one we all quote that we're all probably most familiar with is that we are now seated with Christ in heavenly places. Or, or like Romans 8 says, we are heirs of God, joint heirs with Christ. Now, I find as soon as I read Revelation 20, in the light of the New Testament, that those who reign with Christ during that period of time, of completion, who have the faith that, if necessary, is a marker mentality. We are raised with Christ in the first resurrection. Do you, do you remember Isaiah chapter 32? It, it says there in, in verse 1, it says, One day a king shall reign in righteousness, and princes rule justly, or princes with it. The people who are now learning how to rule this world is the church. Or if we follow on from chapter 19, it's the bride. The king of kings right now is teaching his bride how to rule the world. If we have time to follow that through from Psalms 2, he is, he is teaching us to ask, and I will give the nations for your inheritance, the ends of the earth as your possessions. The idea that this would be speaking of a physical kingdom, it's hard to grasp, okay? Jesus began it all by saying, My kingdom is not of this world, else would my servants fight. If you want to know how to reign with Christ, learn how learn to follow in the Holy Spirit. Learn what intercession means. Learn what prayer means. And you will learn what ruling with Christ means in the real kingdom. It's exactly what Jesus taught us in what we recite in the Lord's Prayer. Thy kingdom come. I mean, you don't come to that in any other way, but how? By prayer and asking his kingdom to come. You don't come to that in, in any other way except prayer and asking. These are the people. No wonder they're called priests. For we are now a kingdom of priests, and we rule because we are priests who pray and intercede. But it says that at the end of that time, Satan's bondage seemed to be over. All the way through the book of Revelation, we have noted that at the end of each of these series of visions, there's been a little time, which has been variously described throughout 
where and when apparently Satan had power that was given to him. You, you, you might, for example, remember the two witnesses we talked about? They were, what, shut up or shot up in, in silence at the, time, at the end of that vision? Okay. The whole devil's kingdom rejoiced over that, and they sent presents to each other because it looked like they had won. Do you remember at another point describing this ongoing period? It says that demons were released and demons were given power. Okay. Again, it spoke of the river Euphrates drying up. And we spoke then that the river Euphrates always held back the powers of evil from Israel. But when it dries up, they can walk over. Do you remember that in another place it said that out of the mouth of the false prophet and of the beast and the dragon came evil spirits. And, and, and it says they gathered together for dun, 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 Armageddon. Right? Okay. Sorry about the reactions there. This, I believe, is yet another vision that speaks of the same thing. There is a period at the end spoken of before and and, and spoken of here again, when Satan is released. Notice, notice he didn't break out. He was loosed, and that for a little season. He, wasn't, he didn't break out. It says that Jesus shall reign until all of his enemies are where? Under his feet. Now, the church in this book is seen to be constantly under the attack of Satan. World politics, the apostate church. And we know that Antichrist is as old as Nimrod. You might say that the Antichrist would be better understood as an alternative Christ, right? I think we pointed that out before. It is not one who says, I'm against you. It is one who sets himself up alongside as an alternative. And world politics and the apostate church have always offered the alternative. Every age has seen its alternative Christ, and each one has been directly related to those before. That is why we have all those books out there from a long time ago up to now. The man who wrote that, for example, Napoleon was the Antichrist. And then somebody comes along and says, no, it was Stalin who was the Antichrist, and, and made the money on books there. <laughs> and then someone else, Mussolini, right? And on and on it goes. There's always been so, in a sense, they were all right, yes. But in a sense, in a sense, they were wrong in saying this is it. But as John said way back when he wrote the first letter, there's a, there, there are many Antichrists that are with us. The spirit of, of Antichrist has been with us all the time. The, the devil has always offered his alternative. But all the time through this book, we have seen right at the very end, it is as if there is a spiraling down to the bottom of the garbage can. It, it's right at the very bottom. There seems to be a time of intense trouble when Satan's alternative is set up against Christ's bride. And the two come together. When that happens, it's called Armageddon. 
Now, Armageddon, again, let's remember, we are still in the book of Revelation, a book of symbols. God spoke it. So, let, let's remember, as we talk about Armageddon here, that we are still in the, are you awake now, by the way? Just want to check. Let's remember that we're still in the book of Revelation. And Revelation is a book of symbols. So what was Armageddon in the minds of the Hebrew people? Armageddon was a great battlefield, okay? Now, incidentally, you will not find the word Armageddon in Revelation 20. All I am noting is that at the very end uh, of every vision, there has been a period, a little period of time of intense trouble for the church. In one or two places, this is termed Armageddon. So you will not find it in this place. In this place, it's just called a little season when the devil is released. So stay with me. This little period of time at the end of each vision, which speaks of satanic power being allowed to go out and do its worst. It would appear that at the end of that completed, when God has achieved on earth as he wills, then at the end of that time, satanic power is given a right to go and do its worst. It turns its attention to who? The church, as, as is expected. And in one or two places, Again, that is termed Armageddon. Armageddon, to anyone in Israel, meant the place where two armies met to fight. It was the greatest battlefield set in, in, in the middle of Israel where all the great battles of the Old Testament were fought. We have a term, and I, I, want, I want you to understand how they understood it, and we have a term in our English, that I think comes very close, that says we're coming to our Waterloo. Okay? You've got it then. Waterloo, the great battlefield of Europe, right? Crazy, maniac, Napoleon. Where you just find out who's going to win. This is it. I mean, and that's Armageddon. Take a look. Understand plain of Megiddo was where armies met. And that is where you are just going to fight to the end. That's it. It's, it's, it's the final. After a battle on the plain of Armageddon, there, well, there's no more battles after that. You, you might have nitpicked at each other, you know, all over the place, but when you meet at Armageddon, brother, that's your waterloo. You are going to find out who wins. In more than one place in the Old Testament, when the forces of evil joined together to destroy the people of God, boom, that broke in in an in a incredible, miraculous fashion and gave victory to the people of the force over the forces of evil. You'll remember them, some of them. I'm just mentioning a few, like Gideon was one of them. Deborah was another. And the book of Judges is, is full of them. 
if you could understand at Armageddon, that meant not only the final coming together, joining of good and evil, but also it was the time when many devout, godly Jewish minds, when God came down and visited the enemies in wrath and delivered his people from them. That's the idea. When it says that they gather together, when forces of evil merge against the church, then I can say, this is it. This is it. There has been an ongoing battle throughout history. There have been alternatives all the time. But in the end, Satan shall be released. Now, go ahead, buddy. Do your worst and understand that you were defeated, and therefore you are defeated. You might be saying, well, I'm not so much sure I like that very much. I don't. I, I, I can understand that. But remember all the other visions. You have read the last chapter. You shouldn't be upset is what I'm saying. You realize that this entire book is written over and against Exodus. And we have seen that. Remember? I mean, Exodus seemed to be all over. In fact, anyone with two eyes would know in their head, you know, that it was all over with, well, for example, Israel and Egypt. And you would have thought, you know, it, after the death of the first four, who will who go mess with Israel, right? I mean, are you nuts? But, uh, I mean, I, I get it because if Pharaoh had a, a, a pea for a brain, he would have known that, dude, it's all over. But what got into Pharaoh to go driving like a maniac after those Israelites? I suggest to you that he who had already been stripped of power and could do nothing, that he was released. You go, Pharaoh. You go. And I say this very carefully, but that man had hardened his heart beyond all repentance. So God favored him. How fortunate. If you can look at it like that, Exodus does take on a, a whole new meaning. For, uh, you remember, God led the Israelites to a fire. I wish I had time to go into that, but you, you basically, you know, you got the sea here, right? You're up against the water, and, and, and over here you've got the rocks and the cliffs, and you can't get up. And behind them is Pharaoh and all of his army kicking up dust and coming in after. There is nowhere to go. And there, Pharaoh, like an insane, raving idiot, goes after them. I would have probably gone in the opposite direction from those people because they're the most dangerous people on the earth right now. Hello? And then it says he goes after them into the bottleneck. God is saying, hey, dude, come on. You know, come on. Have you ever seen a lobster being fought? I don't know. Where are you going with this one? The lobster catching is exactly the point here. You, you get a big thing for a lobster, you, you, you get, and, and you put your crab inside, and the lobster goes in after the crab, and can't get out. It's hot. Here, God puts Israel at the end, and here comes the big lobster, Pharaoh. 
and he has, he has driven like a maniac, and he sees his cat. And then he goes right into the bottleneck, and God says, gotcha, judgment. Then Israel goes to the Red Sea, and God says, come And then when they are in the middle of the Red Sea, Pharaoh's army, and the judgment of God fell. God loosed Pharaoh in order that he may be totally, forever, out of the lives of these people. Do you get that? Why the loosing of Satan at the end? In order that Satan may be forever, throughout all eternity, known as the defeated leader, or the loser. In order that Satan may forever, throughout all eternity, be known as the defeated loser. Now, we don't got much longer. Is this going to be a physical battle? It states that it is against the camp of the saints, the beloved city. In our, in our next times together, the last two sessions, we're going to see that the beloved city, the New Jerusalem, is none other than the church. We've already got that in Hebrews 12. It says, those who have been born again have come to where? The New Jerusalem. The camp of the saints is, is the church. You see, if I believe that this whole last battle is to do with Israel as a nation, then immediately I have forgotten the Bible altogether. And I'm plunged into Middle East politics. But when I realized that the Bible is one book, it flows on until the end. What is God's main concern? The church. And what is the devil's chief hatred? The church. The last battle, which is an ongoing battle right now, but the last one is between the devil and the church. And all philosophies uh, of the church uh, and all the, the hatred of nations, <coughs> excuse me, and the church. I mean, I can go on and on. And you, you don't have to be, you know, a rocket scientist to see what's going on in the world today and how that's rising up amongst us and coming. Mm, it is against Israel, but you had better define your Israel before you begin to talk about it. Israel is the church. Israel is the church. I'm on the next slide. It will not be a physical battle. The church has been shedding blood for years, friend. That is not a Bible. That is a release. In fact, all through this book, it tells us that when you have been beheaded, you have won, period. I know those rules don't hold true on, you know, on earth for a lot of people, but that is how it is. Those who have overcome are those who have died for their faith. This is not a physical battle. We, we are not going to have masses of troops. If we were talking about you know wishes and want to, maybe maybe I'd prefer that instead. Swords can't hurt me, but philosophies from the pit of hell, they will mess with you big time. I hope you heard that. Look, 
that we gave you when you were dealing with those spirits that came out of the mouth of false prophet and prophet. Okay? All those powers of the occult, all the doctrines of demons, as well as the persecutions of the world powers, suddenly turned on the church, not in a geographical location, but in the spirit realm and in the universal realm. It says, I mean, it's always, it's always, look, it's just like it was in the days of Noah. Just one little tiny minority and the whole world around in opposition. Lot in Sodom. One little minority, just before the judgment fell, all the powers of filth in that city ganged up on them. It, and it's always been that way, friends. It's just the way it's been. But of course, it says that fire came down from heaven and devoured them. And as, 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 as I said the last time we were together, it was not even a battle. The fire came and it's all over. The power of God intervened. I, I, I believe it, it was at that point that the groom came very manifestation of Jesus and the power of his finished work, it is enough to end the battle. I want to read something that I hope we get into in the next month or two. It's found in Second Thessalonians. <laughs> it's found in Second Thessalonians in chapter 1. It says, for after all, it is only just for God to repay with affliction those who afflict you, and to give relief to you who are afflicted, and to us as well, when the Lord Jesus will be revealed from heaven with his mighty angels in flaming fire, dealing out retribution to those who do not know God and to those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus. These will pay the penalty of eternal destruction away from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of His power when He comes to be glorified in His saints on that day and to be marveled at among all who have believed. I believe that is what it is speaking of. It is the glory of the church and the destruction of all those who have joined themselves to Satan. Right now, as far as we know, we live in the time of a bound Satan, but I believe that there is a loosing that's taking place, which drives me to be who I am in Christ. And and, and when the fullness of that, that time comes, being loosed for a little while, we shall know grace. I believe that with all my heart, as we have seen from Scripture through this book. The same faith, friend, which we live, same faith with which we shall die, if need be. Things are not what they seem to be, for he is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. The battle is already won, and he will win because he has won. The false prophet, all the powers of an apostate religion, and all the powers of war that persecutes, as well as the great whore, will be judged 
eternally so. And the whole church is going to join together and sing Hallelujah. The Lord God Almighty reigns. Can somebody say that? All right. Would you stand with me? As I do this one more time. Just <coughs> your side the attack of the Sinuses are coming upon me. Yeah, it is. You know, I know this is a lot to say. And I know this is very hard to say. You know, I'm not kidding. Let's, let's go over it again. Over the next several weeks, take time to review it, to look at it, to start the beginning, to understand it, to take the stuff to next. Did you ever watch a movie twice? And say, I don't remember that movie now. That's exactly what I'm talking about. Look, this is a lot, but at the same time, we're going to take a look at it, understand it, walk through it, because it comes out of it with rejoice and assurance. I look at this girl and I look at it very more specifically. I mean, I could skip all of that and just do it quick. I would not advise you to do that, but I'm sure. All it, you know. More specifically, I'm looking at our country right now. And I, I think for a minute that there is not coming an attack upon the church. I'm not evil. And I know that my testimony will prosper. Not as much now as it was then in the martyring era. But I can tell you there's something happening in my continuum, but it's not going to be so much physical. It's emotional. Philosophical, so forth and so on. To impose on the church and say, do, if you stray, you need to say you're loved. You need to love others. You need to be a blessing to this. This is just, this is, this is the
We're of God in His presence. If there was ever a time to open eyes, if there was ever a time message I preached a couple weeks ago on, on darkness, blindness. That was probably one of the most important messages I have preached in ages. And I'm, I'm, I'm almost thinking about doing it again just to do it. But let me just say this, and I, I'm done rather than I apologize. But I'm just saying several weeks as we take a look at not just the reality of your incarnation but your incarnation in light of your resurrection may we understand something here that we've not understood before may we realize that what makes difference here is the fact that you are alive you reign, you hold the keys to death and to hell, you bind the enemy, you are all and in all. Be praised, be lifted up, be glorified. Bless them, encourage them, strengthen them. In Jesus' name I pray. And everybody said, Amen. Amen.